It's time for another episode of Off the Record, On the Rocks. Join Michael Toner and Ankarina Lara and break down the latest news on all things crypto, metaverse, and Web3, filtering out noise and connecting dots as we pour ourselves into the future. All right, everybody, welcome back to another Off the Record, On the Rocks with my good friend, Mr. Ankarina Lara. How are you doing, sir? Michael, it's Friday. It's beautiful out, and I couldn't be doing better after such an insane week. Uh, of press on Capitol Hill. Yes, it has been another busy week. I know we talked on Monday because we were coming off the heels uh, of NFT NYC. We were able to cover everything that I heard uh, in the panel discussions, talking about the regulatory stuff, CBDC legislation uh, on Monday. And we knew immediately following that, that our boy, Mr. Gary Gensler was gonna be up on Capitol Hill. Uh, we knew that Brian Armstrong from Coinbase was going to be coming uh, over to the White House for talks. I'm telling you, I've got folks in my DMs who are hanging out at the White House yesterday. Uh, I am a little bit frustrated I didn't get my invite being here in D.C. I remember I got invited to the White House uh, back in 2006, 2007, something like that, um, for what they called the White House Demo Day. This was during the the web two regulation days, which I've talked a lot about the similarities here. Uh, so mm -hmm. while I personally was not at the white house, you've got, you've got Gensler taking the, the front stage here on Capitol Hill, talking about securities and answering questions from, you know, the, the, the old senators up on the, on the dais. Uh, and in the back rooms, you've got the lawyers and Brian Armstrong talking, trying to figure out what is needed um it's it's wild to see and then across the pond the other big topic so two big ones off the top here uh you've got the eu passing this comprehensive crypto regulatory framework and a couple of other countries the uae piping in within a matter of hours after that regulation to say our doors are open you've got news coming out of hong kong which we've been keeping an eye on they're you know arms wide open crypto so while the dumpster fire took place, let's start there. Your take mm. on Gensler and what's happening here in the nation's capital. Well, first of all, I did not get invited to the White House either. I feel like <laughs> you and I together should have been invited to the White House because we're, you know, we're friendly. We're tracking all the news. We're trying to just, you know, cut through the noise. It just seems like there's a lot of people trying to steal this narrative once again. And honestly, to have Gary Gensler up there and answering questions, I want to say it was Senator McHenry, who was great. He's wearing a little bow tie, which I love. Um, <laughs> he grilled him. He just grilled him and grilled him, and he would not answer. Gary Gensler would not answer the very simple question, which he'd already said yeah. in so many published tweets, documents. The question is, is this a security? Is Ether a security? Are cryptocurrency securities? And he wouldn't answer the question. Um, I feel like that is exactly the smokescreen that you just described. You have him up there going back and forth for literally hours. And it's, I've watched, I didn't watch all five hours of it, but um, I did watch some highlights. And it's just, it's embarrassing because he's the only person who knows the answer, but he refuses to give them, which is why we're in this position that I think we're gonna get to in this global sort of macro view. But if there's a single individual in the United States who is preventing innovation in the crypto and the Web3 space, you pick it, then all these great ideas and companies are gonna move outside of the US. And already seeing that Brian Armstrong backroom deal, like you're saying, 
he's up there on Capitol Hill playing the game because he has to. He's part of their their crew now, right? He's official. Uh, you can buy Coinbase shares, um, you know, stocks. But now he's saying, hey, we're going to get a license to operate in a foreign country, and we're going to potentially take all of our business out of the U.S. And that's so, a pretty strong threat from like the, the, the darlings of this space right now. I, I want to talk about Coinbase specifically, but let's stay on, on Gensler here for a moment. Um, you know, I, I, I've seen a lot of takes on this. I've heard and, and, and just a, a lot of people commenting on his inability to answer that question and the dancing that he did around the answering of that question. I've heard a couple different takes. So I want to get your thoughts on this too. Somebody pointing out that, you know, it, it was the way the question was asked very specifically was in your opinion. So simply asking for his personal opinion, not mm. in the opinion of the SEC, not is the SEC going to rule on this, actually, in fact, giving this guy a chance to say in your own personal opinion, to say it on under oath, which he would not do. Now he said it publicly to your point, but now he's on Capitol Hill. Now the spotlight is on. Now you are under oath and all of your testimony can and will be used against you. Um, and, and he won't say it even in his own opinion. That's really, really interesting. Why not? Why not? And then when the Senator asked him specifically about if he had ever owned yeah. Bitcoin, and, and drilled him on this, impressed him, and I thought in a very respectable uh, and well-thought-out manner, and Ginsler's answer was, I taught a course. He literally rebutted yeah. re the answer with, have you ever bought Bitcoin with, I taught a course, and then he answered it as no, and then the senator drilled him again to say, you're telling me you taught a course on this and didn't buy it? I mean, I just don't, I don't believe him. I really no. find it hard to believe that he's telling the truth. I think he's lying. I mean, that's, and that's part of it too, that for that many hours, what, what is it? What does this serve? Who does this serve really? Does it just serve the needs of the, the Congress to make it a point that they're not happy with the overreach of an appointed position? Because can't they just take away the appointment? Like who has the power to just say, you're no longer the head of the SEC, Gary Gensler, because you claim to teach a class, two classes, at MIT Media Labs, one on Bitcoin specifically, and one, I think, on blockchain technology generally. And to answer under oath that you've never bought a cryptocurrency, you don't even know what the process is to add it to either a hosted or a personal wallet. And yet you're going around and demanding $30 million from people who are, quote, doing it badly. It, it, it made me so upset just listening to him and his voice. I mean, you know, you don't have to go there with personal attacks, but like kind of when he sits down and has this like real nasally voice. And this whole, it just wears you down and you think, yeah. okay, clearly he's lying. He's going to lie for five hours. So is his game just lie to everyone as long as possible until they remove me? And then I'll just go get a job back where I used to. Does he not just know that sooner or later they're going to take his job away so he doesn't care? Well, yeah, I, I guess think it's coming down to that, basically. If you boil it really, really, really far down, um, and, and we've got some news here coming just in the past day or so yeah. about the potential for the most significant enforcement action for the crypto industry in the SEC's uh, uh, legislature or uh, filing here, ruling or, or court case against Ripple. 
And mm-hmm. so you just wonder if his inability to answer that question is inextricably tied to this case, Ripple versus the SEC, mm-hmm. in and and if he makes that personal statement, does it then impact the case? And by the way, there are f- prior <laughs> cases and enforcements that would have an impact. I think that's where he finds himself walking a very, very tight line. Uh, like you said, it's like almost you either taught the course and you were an expert or you're not an expert and you don't know what you're talking about. And therefore, <laughs> how are you in a position to enforce this? It's like even when you take it at that level, something doesn't add up. And I think this Ripple case and hearing that we might get a ruling next week seems like it might be related. Like they need that case to move forward so that then he can start to say what we all know he's going to say anyway. Right, because they already published it on the sec.gov website. Right. They've already said what the, they, they don't say this is the absolute regulation. It says like regulation will likely, or however they use those words, they definitely are like caveating things. But again, I mean, if I was an MIT student at any time while he was teaching, I want to create a class action lawsuit to get my tuition back. Because if the head of the media lab is teaching a class about something that clearly he has no idea about, or that he has tons of ideas about, but it's just a bold-faced liar, then how many other uh, educators at MIT are like, I teach chemistry. Have you ever been in a lab? Oh, what's a lab? You know, it's like, like what, what are you talking about right now? You know, how can you possibly get up to, I would say if you're an MIT graduate, you'd be upset that this guy would even suggest that he's a teacher that doesn't know what he's talking about. But the other thing I was saying about just um, uh, uh, riffing on what you are saying about Ripple, is it also just seems like it's part of the playbook, right? When you look at the list of things on the sec.gov release of the likely regulation that came out, there was a list of stuff and we laughed because one of the the components was calling out specifically celebrities and influencers on the internet, right? There was a category just for that. Well, there's a category just for exchanges. There's a category just for commodities and um, securities like cryptocurrencies that are not Bitcoin. There's a section for Bitcoin, which sort of says that it's not being regulated or likely won't the same way. And then there's also a section for stable coins. And so we've seen them go down the hall and knock on the celebrities' doors, and get the money. We've seen them now come out and say that they want to redefine or relook at the way that an exchange is defined. And they, they want to basically start going after, you know, Bittrex, take them down, all these exchanges, take them down. So what's the last stop that we haven't seen them go and extract money from stable coins. Um, you haven't heard much about Tether or USDC, but one of the most famous stable coins is Ripple, whose call sign is XRP. And um, actually a bunch of old Yahoo guys who actually are running it, which is kind of an interesting twist too, since not, <laughs> not, you haven't heard much from Yahoo in a long time. But uh, but now they're, what is it, two and a half years, I wanna say they've been in court. So I feel like they just delayed them as long as they could then we got through tax day remember between martin luther king jr and tax day we we got a lot done and now the taxes are done now i think we can come out and make our big ruling against stable coins which of course is going to pave the way for gary gensler and others to bring out the cbdc the central bank digital currency and say okay none of these other things are going to be used you have to use this or who knows maybe they'll say ripple and xrp is our choice for the government stable coin. And we're gonna use this thing. They're gonna come and try to do some ham-handed thing. And it's not gonna work because no one's gonna wanna be surveilled while they're shopping for Christmas presents. It's gonna be really, really, really messy, I feel like these next few weeks, especially when this Ripple case comes out. 
Yeah, so I'll take a uh, a skip across the pond as we're describing this this activity, this swirl of activity. I mean, literally the the days following tax day, the number one issue on Capitol Hill, without a doubt, this week has been crypto regulation. I, I also think don't be surprised if it starts to show up as a, a sort of an an issue within the the election. I mean, we we talked about this. Of course, don't be surprised. But uh, and you've got Trump making some kind of off the cuff comments about there's going to be this recession. We've been hearing this recessionary news. There's this need for regulation. You've got Coinbase maybe leaving the country because of the regulation. Let's take that skip across the pond um, with the EU approving this regulatory framework, this MICA framework. Uh, that was fast, really? wasn't it? We just heard but, about MICA on Monday. I heard about it last week for the first time. Markets and crypto assets. It was voted on Thursday, uh, yesterday, 515 yeah. to 38 in favor of a new crypto licensing regime. Talk about the EU moving quickly to, to really just set up a framework for how people are going to get licenses in order to operate in these financial markets with integrity. Do it under the rules and you won't get in trouble. Oh, what brilliance. <laughs> and how about they, how about this thing called MICA, which is actually one of the more like cute and cleverly named bills that I've heard in a while. It, 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 we, we were exposed to it end of last week, Monday, and it's yeah. just been approved like literally by a landslide yesterday. Yeah. That's interesting. Just in time, right, for the United States to adopt it. Yeah. Remember, uh, they're, just, they're just broadcasting legislation over there from the EU. They're like, hey, we just voted for it. Everyone loves it. And and we can kind of make the connection here. I mean, so I mentioned that regulation getting getting approved. Then I heard that the UAE making broad statements just about, um, you know, opening their doors for crypto firms and license applications and and. Uh, basically creating a regulatory framework where businesses want to go. Same thing with Hong Kong making, we, we heard a little bit of that last week. We talked about that on the show about, you know, the stronghold China now sort of using Hong Kong to, to allow this, this recognition of cryptocurrencies as digital properties and provide a framework for businesses to operate and now come back, back to DC and Brian Armstrong in those backroom meetings, while he's trying to figure out how are we going to operate Coinbase here in the US without that US version of MICA, without that ruling and jurisdiction around digital properties, how are we gonna operate Coinbase under these these fuzzy rules? And, and, and then the headline breaking that they have been approved for a license to operate uh, in, in Bermuda. I mean, what isn't that, that isn't you? that interesting? It's like it has Bermuda, the Bahamas. Like has this had this become the new Puerto Rico for us, where if you know can't survive in regulatory environment in U.S., then please go to the Caribbean and set up business. Is that sort of <laughs> what we have come? Is like the if then, and on top of all of that. There was another article that hit that I shared with you, which is regarding the Euro stable coin. So there's two things happening coming out of Europe. You have this legislation, this MICA, and everyone's super gung-ho about it. But then simultaneously, you have, remember, we're going to create a CBDC, a central bank digital currency in, in England, or the digital pound sterling. And then they're saying, no, 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 we don't know how to do that. Well, now you, there's a Euro stable coin that has basically come out. It's 
it's pegged to the euro. So they're trying to make it be like a digital euro, the same way a digital pound or digital dollar. But apparently people have looked at it and there's insane criticism from around the tech sectors where that the code itself isn't good. And if you actually read into sort of how it works, it is like basically the antithesis of what Bitcoin was created to do. It specifically says you can't use it for peer to peer transactions. It specifically says your transaction can only be approved if you're from a whitelisted account. And it specifically says that a central bank has to approve it. <laughs> so effectively what they've done is just created a digital version of their own ACH based banking. And they're going to just ram it down people's throats under the some like MICA regulation that's supposed to be for your protection. I mean, it, this couldn't be, for me, again, this most ham-handed sort of fumbling of throwing legislation and trying to create technology that they don't even understand. I mean, if Gary Ginzer yeah. has never owned Bitcoin, how many of these guys don't even know what they're talking this, about? This is a quote from this Cointelegraph story talking about it was the worst code they've ever seen in, in reference to the Euro stablecoin. Uh, facing the centralization criticisms and the quote uh, it uh, it says it's a pseudonym, uh, pseudonym smart contract engineer quote they coded it so that they have to whitelist all users and process all user transactions even process your ERC 20 approvals before they process your transfer from so meaning they have exactly what you said i mean it's it's whitelisting so they have to know who everybody is now there's a there's a surveillance aspect to it that's counter to i think what most people want to see in a decentralized ecosystem and they have to go through a clearinghouse basically but but not let's not forget with fed now coming this summer and that coming out of the national automated clearinghouse association updating those ach payment rails mm -hmm. Right? Isn't that exactly now? We've now got the code from the smart contract from this CBDC out of the EU, and it looks and sounds a lot like a modernized ACH, which here we've seen branded as FedNow. Is I mean, it sounds happening? to me just like alphabet soup when you, when you say all those <laughs> acronyms. I mean, my head is spinning with just like, at what, at what point? The, the, the public is just going to, their eyes are going to roll back in their head. <laughs> Where's and my money? <laughs> retail investors are going to say, okay, I, I get all of this. But is what you're saying that I just get my money a little bit faster? It's not going to be three days. It's going to be two and a half or one. Like, that's what we're doing. We're taking like, you know, two steps forward and like eight steps back and six steps to the left. Talk about yeah. going back in time. And, and again, like, so the juxtaposition of this timing too is great because you have all of these major government organizations coming out and very specifically in everything that they write talk about how this notion of peer-to-peer -peer doesn't exist in their world but then you have guys over at robin hood and guys over at you know i'm sure let's see when when uh twitter and or or app x from musk comes out and allows direct transfers is that not going to be peer-to-peer -peer? robin hood came out specifically and said we're launching peer-to-peer -peer transactions. And then I don't know if you caught the Michael Saylor news, but Michael, Michael Saylor over at um, uh, MicroStrategy, MicroStrategy just used, figured out how to use the Lightning Network, which is a layer two on top of Bitcoin's network, and used work emails. So not cloud, like not Gmail or Yahoo, but like, you know, you, know, you at Coca-Cola.com or whatever. You can send 
Satoshis or Bitcoin payments peer to peer via work email. And when I think about that juxtaposition of, okay, American innovation is going to make it really easy. How do you get someone our age or older to want to send a payment? You can't throw all these acronyms and tell them about the MICA thing and how you're going to log in. There's a new stable coin, the CBDC and this and the other thing. You're just going to say, hey, just send me an email and in the email put a dollar sign in my name and then the amount and then you'll send me the money. And you go, oh, okay, I know how to do an email. Got that. I got that. Right. And yeah. in Robinhood, I can buy stocks on Robinhood app. I can send you Bitcoin. Like, it makes sense. Think about how they, they democratize retail stock trading. And, and I pay really close attention. You, We may have referenced this uh, in past episodes, but every time I get a privacy policy update now, mm-hmm. I read it. Uh, because you put this on my radar years ago, which is pay attention to those privacy policies because they are usually pointing to the next step that the company is going to take because the lawyers kept stepped in and said wait a second think before we do that thing whatever that thing is we need to update our privacy policy <laughs> to let people know and and so i got this privacy policy update from robin hood and i click you know i click through it and sure enough uh that is what the 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 email was specifically calling out uh, let me see if i have my my screenshot here which is this this new feature mm-hmm. starting on may 17th is that uh, you and and other customers are going to be eligible for pay and request. It lets you and your friends send each other money on Robinhood. So now if you have a username on Robinhood, right? And I just wanted to to, to pay you literally with my my stock, right? Like if I just said like, oh, I owe you a hundred bucks, this stock's about a hundred bucks. I could tr- I could trade it directly. Like hundred dollars of AMC I can just send to you, yeah. basically, right? Yeah, exactly. Or it, so that's a peer to peer, but they're a marketplace. So so which of those little SEC categories now do they fall under? And I think that's where that concept that Elon has stressed that what we've seen come out of China with the the super apps we've talked about them here that that can do everything. You can order your food. You can pay your bills to your your local utilities. You can pay your taxes. Uh, the wallet has your driver's license in it. It has your credit card numbers in it. It's got all your contacts. You got all your videos. You can share them, tweet them, and you can pay your friends all from this little app that's now maybe just an email. Oh, you don't want the app? Just send me an email. Okay. And it's all on those same, same rails. I think uh, it's crazy to to see oh and there was another one that that you shared maybe it's a little bit of a different but i want to come to when when you said gemini was acting strange but yeah robin hood peer-to-peer specifically getting called out um how's the sec going to regulate that well and to your point you know they generally speaking from what i know is the, the right amount of time that you update your privacy policy before rolling out blank service new service is 28 days it's four business weeks um, and I want to say that when you receive that email is about 28 days, right to May 17th. Um, so, I, I mean, ish, but if they're looking at like number of business days, and of course there's always that line in the bottom, which just says your continued your use of this service constitutes your agreement that you um, have are using right. this po- new privacy policy. Um, you know, social networks tend to update them. We look at them very closely, right? The API rules for Instagram or Twitter or Pinterest or LinkedIn or whatever. They all update usually on the quarter, you know, the, 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 like the fiscal quarterly basis. But like generally speaking, the beginning of the month, there's always a little something added. And it's always really hard to see what was changed 
you know, you often have to have a copy of the doc to be able to download the new one and then do a little quick comparison on Word. Where have the words changed? So Robinhood's actually very proactive in emailing you. Most of the time, they'll just say like, we're updating it, but you have to like click a link to go find out. The fact that they just told you in the email, I thought was very nice of them. So score one for Robinhood. Yeah. But I still believe Robinhood is gussing itself up as an acquisition target for Musk. I, I really do have the sneaking suspicion that somehow this new X Corp and what was once called Twitter is going to somehow get an integrated well, marketplace. There it is. I, there I it is, right? What's, what's going to be? If Twitter needs peer-to-peer -peer transactions and now all of a sudden Robinhood's updating their privacy policy says we do it, then look around mid-May to see if Twitter starts to materialize that that uh, you know dissolving of Twitter and and the creation of X and what's the best way to build that you you called it through acquisition uh, and if you're going to go acquire a company on paper for the sole purpose of bringing peer-to-peer -peer transactions to your existing social network then the lawyers are going to want to make sure that the company you're acquiring does peer-to-peer -peer transactions so i think that's a really interesting <laughs> we'll see we'll see it's hot, a hot take, take if right that one now, comes out <laughs> it's a hot take but also i know too you know that the moves that musk made to fully dissolve twitter comma inc period like that's that is a gangster move because when you dissolve a company and then make a new company in this case x corp which acquires all of the ip from the dissolved company you basically make debtors creditors like people with issues everyone from twitter comma inc just sort of goes away if you have a grievance with this company sorry they don't exist so we're just going to start fresh. Like Twitter's not acquiring Robinhood. Twitter's not laying anybody off. Xcorp is. <laughs> That's who's doing yeah. the job, the dirty work now. I mean, it's a disintermediation for sure. I don't know that. I don't know how that that plays out from like a debt bankruptcy type. I, I didn't dig enough on like well, how I mean, structured the new I, company. All I'm saying but... is, if Xcorp is going to acquire something, it's cleaner that a yeah. company that's brand new is going to acquire anything versus a company that's got 15 years of internet history like Twitter. So I feel like well, just from a procedural standpoint. Yeah, it's open sourced. He open sourced the IP of the IP of the code so that you could see the algorithm, which I think takes us down a whole nother path that oh, I don't know that we have enough time for here. But I, I do think that he is seeing that's a that's a straight up Tesla move, right? With open sourcing the battery technology. I think we may have talked about that. And yep. he's taking that same approach to the algorithm so that in theory uh, you can almost decentralize the policing I think of free to free speech I mean he said something the other day about free speech is paramount and I and I think if you open source the algorithm and you can see how certain topics are rising to the top how trending topics become trending topics um, then you do put free speech in a position to be policed from a decentralized perspective like i would be able to see that i can see how this person is feeding the algorithm with this topic uh anyway that takes us down the the ownership and the ip and maybe if i'm logging in with my you know blockchain connected identity and now i can prove that i'm a human and now that my identity can be fed into that algorithm and that algorithm is open sourced now you can prove what's a bot and what's a human, which has been proof, was his proof, original grievance. Proof of life, proof of humanity, whatever it's going to be called. This decade, the, the war 
is going to be fought in the metaverse. Like we know that, right? It's, it's going to be a battle of privacy. It's going to be a battle of authenticity. AI is going to be used for good and for bad. It's going to have to be, well, we don't even know where it's going yet. We've already seen kind of the first glimpses, but it's going to be a thing that we're all going to live with from this point going forward. Um, it's going to, there's going to be a ton of money is put into it about validating your humanness. Because as it is today, there's bots, there are AI generated people or like images of people or videos that are just false, that don't exist. But sometimes they're even like, you know, for companies, employees, you go to certain websites, you know, very good like rug pull scams, they'll have a whole like our team and have pictures of people that are not real people. So AI is already helping scammers scam people. Well, now it's a question of, okay, if Twitter is going to have like, a, I don't want to say a morality police, but if Twitter is going to have some kind of free speech police, it might be decentralized, which would be interesting, but there's going to have to be AI on every node who already today, if you try to use chat GPT and try to ask it to do something that's a little bad, it tells you, I don't do that. Like I am yep. not going to make, I'm not going to do that for you. I, I'm sorry, Dave. I can't do that. <laughs> it's 2001. Like the computers are going to start to run our social network. We're going to give them too much power. They're going to start tweeting on your behalf without asking you. I'm telling you, we're heading, we're barreling towards the apocalypse in the metaverse. Well, I, I also think it's, it's good to just take a quick step back. It's, it's always fascinating to me. And I find myself in a lot of these conversations quickly moving from Bitcoin and regulation. And though I don't even know how we just slid right into this AI discussion. And I think for a lot of folks, maybe folks even listening here, it's it it starts to feel jumbled and, and that alphabet soup and, and how are we conflating blockchain and AI. And I really, I think it's it's important to stress that when you're talking about AI and you're talking about generatively creating something, then the digital receipt of that thing is going to be how you pull metadata off of it, how you know who created it, where was it created, what time was it created, was it a human that created it, was it a computer? That, all the things you're going to need to know about that thing, whether it was a song. We, we haven't even gone down this, oh but my God. that rocked the music world this year. And think about how that plays into ownership and money when you've got the biggest music label in the world calling these AI generative songs that are topping the charts, calling them fraud, uh, that it's it's illegal, that you can't be doing this. And, and I think this is why, this is why there's a flurry of activity from blockchain oriented, in this case, financial services companies, but blockchain oriented companies trying to solve this at a regulatory place, because if you solve it there, then the use case for Universal Music Group, who's pissed off about somebody generating an AI version of a rap song, is solved if they can put that song on the chain and they can keep track of the derivatives that get created and they can earn their royalties the same way they want to, they want to own it. They want to own the digital version of this derivative that right now they don't own. And it, and it, it reminds me know. of a dark future that was first revealed to us all in the movie Blade Runner, where there is a fear, and this is something that's a trope that exists in so much you know, pop culture content. There's a fear of the cyborg. There's a fear of the synthetic. There's a fear of the uncanny gulch where the person that I think is a person sitting across from me 
isn't actually a person, but somehow artificial. And the entire plot of the movie is you know, discovering those peop- those replicants, right? Well, we all had this idea in those days, you'd have to run around with a fancy pistol and flying cars and like gun them down. <laughs> That's how you solve the problem. Well, the only th- what we didn't realize is it's not going to be in the real world that we're fighting that war. It's going to be in the metaverse. And you're not going to be able to just run around with a gun and shoot anybody. You're going to have to figure out what is synthetic in an environment that itself is already synthetic. You're in a metaverse, which by definition is not reality or some kind of version of augmented reality. So now you're dealing with a person or an avatar of a person who's telling you to do something or interacting with you. I'm in my financial services VR headset and I'm at the bank talking to someone. Is that someone, even a someone? Or is that just a chatbot who uses the voice of the most pleasantly sounding, you know, representative that they have. Right. And then, you know, and to get back on that music thing, I mean, look, we know it's the future, but what I'm wondering is, is there a point in time where right now is the line where basically everyone who's come before, who's been a music artist, who had a unique voice now is the library and the library is closed. And now where the AI is just going to make songs based on all of those existing voices or what's it going to take for a new voice to crack through? Cause there's, you know, 50,000 hip hop artists. Only one of them is Drake and only one of them is The Weeknd. And they have very specific sounding voices and cadences. And so, of course, the synthetic song works because you know what it sounds like. But if you want to go forward and actually have a new sound, and AI maybe even generates that sound, are we ever going to have a new artist break through just because of the sound of their voice? Because already they're auto-toning themselves, you know, anyway. Like, their voice is already being processed and synthesized. So I wonder, I think this actually is a moment that was bigger when that news dropped and immediately Universal Music freaked out because they knew this is the moment that everything changed. This is like, this is like a, Naps, a Napster nothing. moment from previous where they were like, oh, yeah. my God, we have to control this now because it's about to get away from them. I think it's a really, this is a big, well, big year for that. And I, again, I love I'm calling out this point of like trying to connect these dots here between blockchain, the the need for this regulation, this AI, and now we went to music and we've talked about gaming and the implications of, of owning those assets in gaming environments. I just sort of described this fintech uh, and that's been a topic in, in software as a service for a long time is like every everything at some point becomes a fintech everything kind of comes back around to that wallet uh and has to build in and and i feel like at least for the past three or four episodes we have almost always arrived at apple at the at the end naturally because take everything we just talked about music gaming uh identity wallet uh my wallet fit your (laughs) face and and you know that Goldman Sachs banking thing. I think we talked about that on Monday. It, ju- it just dropped on Monday, just right before tax day. <laughs> right, but that that is going to then force uh, uh, people to look at the use of Apple Pay. The oh, I can get four percent savings. It's better than anything. Now you've got the store of value, uh, your identity, your your facial recognition tied to this thing. Um, I just I cannot wait to see how that ecosystem evolves and i don't i don't think we're going to get all the answers in june i think we will get the hardware but just like when they originally rolled out the apple watch 
you know, limited functionality. It did two or three things. It didn't, people didn't understand why you would need it. And now people understand why they want it. It, it, it's this, this snackable content. It's, it's the <laughs> tracking of my heartbeat. It's my health information. It's my wallet when I want it to be. I think that's how you're going to see the hardware with the goggles and the glasses, whatever they're calling these, the reality, Apple reality yeah. pro. Um, and, and the way you're going to be able to shop in that metaverse, the way you're going to be able to bank in that metaverse, uh, you're going to need payment rails that are, I could, I'm going to be able to stand here in a room with my goggles on and your goggles on. And I'm, we're, we're recording this podcast and you're like, Hey, Toner, you owe me 20 bucks for that dinner last night, that drink last night. And I want to be able to pull out my virtual wallet, tap my virtual phone against yours we're not in the same room and i want the money to transfer and that transaction that is now happening as a digital twin through our through our xr mm -hmm. glasses will be processed on chain like it, it it i'm giving you this thing digitally in a digital environment you you can't do that on our existing payment rails so i I just I can't wait to see what we're going to get from look for Apple Pay announcements. That's what yeah. I say. Look for Apple Pay announcements that, that don't look like they're related to the XR. Glasses. Yeah. And just a note on the Apple and just going back, doubling back on the banking uh, partnership with Goldman Sachs, you know, they're talking like 4% as a return, which I want to say is 10x what a normal savings account has these days. So I think that like looks very good, but it doesn't even keep up with the pace of inflation, really. It's not really a meaningful number at the end of the day but like you said you know if we can if if apple's really good at getting people it, it's a lifestyle company you know as much as it is a technology company they'll even say it that way right they they often don't even talk about the tech specifics like the actual product features and they talk about more just how it improves your life and like you said if, if there's an ability for this phone your apple device to encourage you to save money I think this is where Apple pulls the rug out from under the concept of a traditional bank with a checking account and a savings account, and they substitute in that word staking account. It's a checking account and a yeah. staking account because then you can see how they would incentivize people the more money you put in to your staking account. And let's just say I have 100000 bucks, right? Well, maybe I put in 20000 into my checking account, and I put 80000 into my staking account, and I say I'm not going to touch the 80,000 for six months or whatever my staking term is. So now Apple is able to build up a proof of reserve just based on normal people using what they think is normal money in their staking account. But we all know that there's not normal money that's all gonna be managed via some digital transaction, some blockchain, because that will keep the cost. Apple's all, all about ratcheting down supply chain costs. Tim Cook is famous not because he was a product guy, but he's a, an operator. He was the guy who figured out how to make the supply chain so that the cost could, you could squeeze nickels out of some little rare metal to make the screws for the whatever. Like he's that guy. So now he's going to, to banking and saying, okay, how do we squeeze the maximum value out of all of people's traditional behaviors, which is you wanna save, but now because we actually have the money, they'll have so much more power and leverage to do other things. Whereas we know today banks, real banks don't have that cash on hand. It's just numbers in a, in a, in a bank account on a screen somewhere. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be wild. These guys are really, it's going to be a wild ride. 
Um, I got maybe a couple of random things that came on let's my. Let's do it. Let's, uh, let's close out Friday random. We can. Yeah, we'll go Friday. Friday rapid fire random. Uh, there was this headline around this gold heist in in Toronto, which I found really interesting. Like twenty million in in gold stolen out of a uh, the Toronto airport, and police investigating this. I'm like, who's carrying around twenty million in gold? This has got to be. <laughs> Somebody, how, how heavy is that? Uh, how heavy is twenty million dollars worth of gold? I, <laughs> if it's measured know. in and why in, in Canada? Why in Canadian dollars? <laughs> is it tw- oh, it's twenty million Canadian dollars. Well, that's not that yeah, much. Yeah, and, and <laughs> I'm just kidding. It, the quote from the the um, well, one dollar is is equal to one point three four seven a dollar thirty Canadian dollars. The quote in the Reuters story was quote This is very rare from the investigator it's like are you talking about the gold or are you talking about there's a gold heist that one broke through for me uh very strange but just kind of like news on the horizon um there was this news about this these uh these old wallets these old bitcoin uh wallets whales moving money around trying to find the the story but uh I don't know if you had that. Yeah, no, the story, that that one's really interesting because you've been kind of tracking more of these whale sites better than I have. But basically, just for our listeners, the term whale um, refers to a particularly internet, digital, rich, wealthy wallet holder where you because it's all on the chain and it's all transparent, you can see when someone, say, moves hundred Bitcoin from one wallet to another. So this is how when whales make moves, people pay attention because often if someone is selling a whole bunch of cryptocurrency, let's say Bitcoin, then it's going to make the price of Bitcoin go down. If someone's buying a bunch, it's going to make the price go up. And so we've seen over many, many years, the manipulation of this number by either famous people on Twitter, on TV, bad mouthing Bitcoin and watching the cost come down. You've seen Elon Musk do it. You've seen Mark Cuban do it. You've seen AJ Banga, the former CEO of MasterCard do it. It's called Bitcoin bananas. They call Bitcoin a basket of junk. Um, I want to say Warren Buffett called Bitcoin rat poison at one point. There's an article that just hit that shows when he said rat poison, if they compared his investments from that time till today, and Bitcoin outperformed all of Warren Buffett's uh, investments, by the way, side detail. But anyway, yeah. there's all this bad news that makes the price go up and down. So the whale can just come in and say, oh, let me call my friend, have my friend badmouth Bitcoin long enough, price comes down, and I'll come in and buy a bunch. But the whale moving money was like, it was a, a wallet that hadn't done anything for, I want to say, 10 years. I remember the story right more than 10 years and then suddenly it wakes up or some human went and got that you know thumb drive and moved like six or seven hundred bitcoins just to another address yep and i as i was trying to find that story from earlier in the week literally a new story from two minutes ago on decrypt talking about yet another bitcoin whale this is a little bit less of amount but uh, just over 279 Bitcoin coming in at about eight million after ten years of inactivity, so much much lower amount, but still, you know, you're talking seven eight million, and then uh, it's crazy to read this though because they they look back through the charts yeah. and you can see that they they had uh, one thousand one hundred and twenty eight Bitcoin in October twenty twelve <laughs> when prices were twelve twelve dollar bitcoins. $12 Bitcoin, they were buying Someone them. Someone bought 15000 now... bucks, got a bonus, bought the Bitcoin, <laughs> tucked it away, 
maybe it was, an, I, mean, I like to think of the, you know, the, the hopeful story, which is tucked it away in some sock drawer. Somebody like <laughs> shook him and said, Hey, remember that? D didn't you have that? Oh yeah, I did have that. I did buy those Bitcoins from that crazy guy on my development team back in the day. Let me go see if I had that thumb drive. I do. Oh, it still works. Oh yeah. Let's just, let's go buy a house in Long Beach. Let's go, you know, let's go get a, let's go get a Lambo. I've been waiting to do that all this time. One, one last one, um, just because I'm not paying attention to it. So you got to bring it up, but, uh, Starbucks selling some more NFTs. So, so latest okay, NFT we'll news, I mean, these guys Starbucks went hard. Odyssey program, which I've been a part of, and I'm not sure how it is. You didn't get invited to the Odyssey program, or maybe you're just in your spam or something or the white, or the white house. house. I mean, Starbucks Odyssey program, white house, we're getting, we're getting blacklisted left and right, man. I don't know what we're doing wrong, but we got to get some sponsors. <laughs> so the, uh, yeah, I mean, the Odyssey program was basically think of dvd extras think of blu-ray extras you get to go into a, a google earth sort of style browse i think I, I liken this to the game mist from the old days which is basically just you're looking at a series of hyperstat cards and you can kind of mouse over a you know a sort of sort of bird's eye 3d view of a coffee farm in Costa Rica, and there's little circles hovering over stuff, and you can interact. And as you click, of course, you slide closer. There's that sort of UI like you see in Google Street View, where you slide around the streets and look at stuff, and you gain points to earn levels. Now I was like, okay, I'm, I'll play ball, and I got to go in there and I got to learn about Costa Rican coffee fair use, and then I got to answer quizzes <laughs> based on keywords that are told in the video. Now I learned that you don't even have to watch the video all the way through. I could watch 10 seconds to fire off whatever JavaScript trigger, and then just go and do the quizzes over and over until I got them right. And most of the questions are, you know, more or less common sense. But here's the kicker. The kicker is they keep pushing on you all these NFTs that they're calling stamps. They're not calling them NFTs. They're called stamps. And their whole idea is like stamps. it's a stamp in your passport as you travel around right. to these coffee places. Like, okay, I get the metaphor. Probably targeting someone more our age who like knows what a passport is and what a passport stamp is. Because these days you just get a passport card that digitally swipes. Anyway... They're like, hey, there's 5,000 unique NFTs, uh, unique stamps. You can have one for $100. It's not even an auction. It's not even a Dutch auction. It's just a straight up $100. Buy as many bucks. as you want. And there's like, there's 2,000 left. And it stops at the end of today. I'm like, no, I'm not going to buy your dumb stamp. They sold and them all, And then they send me another email that says, you can get, you can finish level one. All you have to do is the last challenge. And I was like, oh, because they, they kind of roll the challenges out over time. So I'm like, finally, I have 850 points. I need to get to a thousand. I have one more challenge. I go and log on. This is via web browser on a computer. There's nothing fancy. I log on, and the and the the last step is I have to go to a Starbucks near me, and order one of the three featured drinks that like I voted on in that previous weird like AR vote uh, app thing, where you like tilt your head oh, left and right man. to choose drinks. So it's like go get a dragon fruit smoothie, and then you'll get fifty points. I'm like. What? Literally, this metaverse beta just did brings you? me to Starbucks to buy a drink in the real world? And I said, no, I didn't. I don't want the caramel macchiato. I don't want the dragon fruit punch. Like, I don't want to go in the real world to finish the metaverse challenge. Why did they make me do it? But I probably will anyway just to see what the level one is. I say all that because it's like, man, maybe their whole, like, there's an AR play there where we're going to get those XR glasses and we're going to walk around and, They'll be Starbucks gamified. Like maybe this is just a preview for the Starbucks partnership. But I felt a little clunky. Oh, yeah. I'm like, oh, really? I got to go. And I just, all I got to do is go buy a Frappuccino. This is lame. Have you gotten any free coffee? 
I mean, I only get free coffee when they mess up my order and they give me that coupon. I think I've gotten that once in 10 years. <laughs> That's the stamp you're looking for. I need that real life free free coffee right. stamp. Uh, well, it has been uh, it's been good to catch up. Uh, happy Friday to you. We will do it again next week, and uh, I think keep your eye on those Apple Pay announcements. We'll be following if Brian Armstrong stick, sticks around on Capitol Hill, and uh, the next 28 days are, are guaranteed to see some other privacy policies. Absolutely, man. Have a great way. weekend. Talk to you next week. All right, later. That's all the time we have for Off the Record, On the Rocks. Join us next week for news and all things crypto. Bring up the house lights. It's last call. <laughs> <laughs>